But God expects the believer to let that go and come boldly before the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace in time of need. Amen? In case you're wondering, that's not the sermon today. Turn over to Galatians chapter 6. How is everybody? Blessed and highly favored? And this new age of freedom we got here? Galatians 6, look down at verse 9 with me. <clears throat> he said, and, and let us not, say, let us not. So it's, you know, to put it plainly, don't do this. Let us not. Let us not do what he's about to say. Let us not grow weary while doing good. Uh, weary, weariness is a growth process. You don't just one day all of a sudden go from full of energy and life to weary. It takes time. Okay, so he said, let us not grow weary while doing good. And there's a whole lot of good news packed into that because um, if he says, let us not grow weary, that means that we don't have to grow weary. Yeah? You don't have to do that. L- let us not grow weary while doing good. For, in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. It's due season. It's not a season that we choose. It's, it's in due season. So I, I may be uh, growing weary. See, that's, that's why he has this warning in here for us. Because I may grow weary while I'm waiting. I mean, I may believe that I'm going to reap a harvest. And word said, whatever, whatever a man sows, he also reaps. So whatever you're sowing, whether it be you're sowing into your job, you're sowing into your marriage, you're sowing into your friendships or your kids, or you're sowing into uh, investments or whatever you're sowing into, it's possible to grow weary while you're waiting for that due season to come. And so he's saying, do not grow weary while doing good, because in due season, you'll, you'll reap if you don't lose heart. So there's a qualifier there. That means that if I lose heart, I may not reap. And so uh, Christians get discouraged because they, they grow weary while they're doing good. And then they come to a season where they think, I ought to have had this by now. But because they didn't apply what this verse is saying, they, they allow, allowed themselves to grow weary. And then when the season came that they thought they should reap whatever they were doing good to reap because they were doing good, then they lose heart, and so then they may miss out. And so a lot of Christians are wandering around like, you know, I mean, you know, this is why people don't believe in prayer. This is why people don't believe in the Great Commission or whatever it is because it's whatever they were sowing into, they didn't get a harvest. And so then they're like, well, this just doesn't work. But he's saying, he said it's in due season, which means that it's not a season that I choose to harvest. The season will happen in due time. I don't get to choose when the season is, just like you can't choose in the natural. You plant, you plant seed, and it comes in harvest time whether you want it to or not. It's like, well, I would like to, you know. It's like I talked about, I guess it was a couple weeks back, where, you know, you did the lima bean project as a kid, and you planted it, in the, and then every day you're in there checking. Okay, well, there's, it's, not, it's not growing yet. It's not growing yet. It's not growing yet. Why? Because you checked just a day later, and it's not due season yet. Not due season. 
So then reaping what you have sown is directly tied to time. Time. Remember, God made time in the beginning. That's time. God made the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. So God made time. And he said when he set the, when he set the lights in the heavens and he set the, the, he's like the sun, the moon, the stars, he said all these, and let these things be for time, seasons, and years. And so he made time, but he also made things to mark time. And so then reaping is directly tied to time because he said after he flooded the earth and then uh, saved Noah and he told, he said, he said, uh, uh, cold and heat, winter and summer, these things won't pass away until an appointed time. And so there's, there's the due seasons are what God has put into place. It's a due season that he has predetermined. So God made time, and he made time to have a purpose. It has a purpose. What is the purpose of time? Time gives things a process. Without time, there would be no such thing as due season. There would be no such thing as I have to wait because there would be no time. Everything would be instantaneous. But because and that's the way it was before he made time. But maybe not. Maybe we, we don't fully understand time. But so time gives things in your life a process. And, you know, it's like you can't, you can't take advantage of time unless you, you enter into the, the process. When I first came in here, I tuned my guitar pretty much before I did anything else. And there's a reason for that. It's because the guitar, was in, wood is, is highly affected by uh, air pressure and humidity and things like that. And so when I first brought it in, the guitar is used to the, inside, the atmosphere inside of its case, but it's not, a, it's not an airtight atmosphere. And so whatever, whatever uh, atmosphere was in the house, the car, and then to get here, and then to take it out, I'd to set it over there. So as soon as I set it over there, the, the wood is getting used to this new temperature and air pressure in here. And so I go and I tune it to give that time because I'm going to have to go over and retune it again usually to, to fine-tune it just because that's the nature of the instrument. They don't stay in tune um, like a digital instrument does. So in order to cooperate with the process of time, I tuned it pretty much when we first got here to let it sit because if I had tuned it right before we started, it would have been all over the place. Didn't know that there was so much science involved, did you? It's like, just get up there and play a song. Well, yes and no. <laughs> But see, because time gives things a process, that's why most things that we experience that come from God are not instantaneous. Like I just, I felt led there. It's like we're, we're, we just spent some time. It seemed like God wanted to, to break some things off people. And it's like, give it a minute. Sit before God for a moment and let him work on you. Give him time to do that. Give him your time. Okay. And sometimes we don't like to wait. But the waiting, the waiting has a purpose. There's a purpose for waiting. Okay? Think about this. God has given you time in the earth. And he has given you things to accomplish within that time. And that time is variable. We know that. It's not like he has a set day where everyone, you know, it's like, well, you've got so many years and then you're gone. But that's not the, that's not the, the way he did because he told the Israelites, when they first came in, honor your father and mother, so that 
Your days will be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So a person's decisions can affect their lifespan. That our own decisions can, can affect the amount of time God has given each of us in this earth. But then at the same time, he has given us things to accomplish in this time he has given us. That means then that because of the decisions that we make and the decisions that others make, if we fail to hear God's voice or for whatever reason, then it means that some of the things he has given us to do may not be accomplished in the time he has given us. But take comfort in the fact that he would not have given you less time than you need to accomplish the tasks he has assigned you to do. Because he would be unjust if he did that. To say, here is this load of tasks that I have for you to do, and I'm not going to give you enough time to complete it. Do you think about that contrast between Pharaoh and the the Israelites, where he's like, he tells them, okay, well, now because Moses has come here and said these things, I'm mad about it, so I'm going to tell the people, you have to go out. We're not going to provide you any more straw. You have to still make the same amount of bricks, but you got to go. And he said, and you have to bring it within the appointed time. The world is a cruel taskmaster. The world doesn't give you enough time to accomplish the tasks it wants to give you. Have you ever worked for a boss that said, I need all these things done? And you're like, I can't. How can I get this done? And then it's the age-old battle, right? You've got to hire somebody else, boss. Oh, well, that's not in the budget. Well, then I can't, I can't complete this in the allotted time. But God does not do that. God gives you a time, enough time to complete what he has for you to do in the earth. Amen? Amen. Hmm. And he does not... Well, let me, let me back up. God made you in this time that we are now living. He made you now, in this century, at this time. At just the right time to do the things that he wants you to do, the good things that he wants you to do. So you have, you really have everything you need. You've got him. You've got the time. You've got the abilities that he has placed within you. And in the process of time, he will grow you into greater things because the tasks I have right now are not the same tasks I have in the next season. Okay, so you really have everything you need. So let me then show you, because he does not want you to grow weary while you're doing these things in this time he has given you. So let me show you a way not to grow weary that most Christians miss. And we talked about this uh, um, a couple weeks back, too, and that was the other side of the coin. So if you missed that, you might want to... Go back and get that. Actually, for the past, I would say the past five or six weeks or so, uh, we've had messages that all kind of closely align. Um, and I, you know, I, I go back and I listen to if if, if I hear a, if I hear a message that really helps me. I'm not talking about my own messages. I'm talking about messages from other ministers. I will go back and listen to it maybe two or three times because you miss things, and so. If you really want the full benefit of all this that we're talking about, God's rest, his peace, all the things that he has called you to do in this earth, maybe go back in, in like the last five or six weeks or so, just listen to those a couple of times. And yeah, that's a, that's a big thing I'm asking you for, but I promise you it will benefit you greatly, greatly. I wouldn't have asked you to do that if I didn't feel that God told me to ask you to do that. Okay, so 
Uh, turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 40. So this is something that's so simple, and it sounds so like good to be true that it's like hard to believe. Because we get so used to trusting in our own strength and our own ability, and it's like we ask God to do something, but then we don't necessarily really believe he's going to do it, so then we try to do it on our own. We try to see it happen on our own. Uh, or maybe we just agree as far as our mind will let us agree, but we really don't believe it with our heart. And, but Jesus made it clear that we've got to believe that we receive when we ask what we prayed for. Um, and so it works here too. We've got to believe what we read here. Isaiah 40, starting in verse 28, it says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Now here's your key here. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so it's like, that's all I got to do? Really? That's all I got to do? I just have to wait on, on the Lord? And then how do I do that? How do I wait on him? If, if, if I've taken that first step to actually believe what he's saying and say, okay, well, how do I do that? Some people that comes naturally to, and they're like, you know, uh, then people come and ask them, well, how do you do that? And they're like, I, I, how do I explain that? How do I explain how I breathe? You know, But anybody can learn how to wait on the Lord. Those people who are really driven, it's harder for them to do that. <laughs> but it's okay. God knows. God understands, and he'll help. He'll help people learn. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to read verse 31 in a bunch of different translations, those who wait on the Lord. So this is the Britain Septuagint translation. But they that wait on God shall renew their strength. They shall put forth new feathers like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not hunger. In the Good News news translation, it says, But those who trust in the Lord for help will find their strength renewed. They will rise on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will walk and not grow weak. Young's literal translation But those expecting Jehovah pass to power, pass into power, strength. It's like it shifts into their life. Those expecting Jehovah pass into power. They raise up the pinion as eagles. They run and are not fatigued. They go on and do not faint. Out of the NLT, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. So when I looked up all these translations, just on the surface, I ran into 27 different translations. Some of them said who hope or who trust in the Lord, and that works. With the, with the Hebrew, it definitely works. Those are good translations. They, then you can apply that. You can say, I, I hope, because a hope is a confident expectation. Uh, trust is, I, you know, I, I'll, try, I'll lean on God. I, can, I, don't, I don't lean on myself. I lean on God. Uh, But 16 out of those 27 translations talked about those who wait on the Lord. 
And so then you cannot wait without time. You cannot wait without time. If you have no time, you cannot wait. Because you have to spend time in order to wait. Well, let me put it this way. It takes time to wait. Many Christians have not learned how to wait on God, like I said. The word said that Jesus often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. Often. And nowhere does it say he often did miracles, yet we see him doing miracles a lot. But it said he often withdrew into the wilderness to pray. I think that he was probably doing as much praying as he was miracles. Amen? If you, and I think about this, if you or I were to start taking time to withdraw often, to spend time waiting on God, where would we take that time from? Where would you take that time from in your life? Because immediately you're thinking, okay, I'd have to, in order to do that, I'd have to cut out this and this, and right? Because we, by nature, tend to fill up our plate with too much. And so it's like, I've got to nix these things in order to often withdraw to wait on God. But if it's the only way I'm going to renew my strength, maybe I ought to do that. This is my thinking. What activities would need to be taken off my plate in order to withdraw to my prayer closet just to spend time with God, waiting on Him? Because going in just to, if, I, if I go just to my prayer closet and I tuck His ear off, am I waiting on Him? It's spending time with him, but it's, it's spending time with him in a different way. I guess it's not really spending time if I'm just talking at him. If I'm talking with him. See, there's where your waiting comes in. Because if I ask him a question and I don't hear a response, then guess what? I can wait. But also, I have to add the ingredient of not thinking that if I sit there, well, how long do I have to wait before I hear from him? No, I mean, I may hear from him a month from now or a week or, or whatever, but I can spend time waiting on him, and if I don't get the answer right then, I can just say, I, thank you, Father, I believe that I receive it, because Jesus said to pray that way. And then, okay, it's, I've spent some time waiting just in your presence, and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and do the work, but I can take him with me, because he lives in my heart, right? But there's a difference between working alongside him, even just on my job, because I've done that mopping floors. It's like, Mopping the floor with Jesus. But see, there's a difference between that and taking time to just sit in his presence and say, I believe, Lord, that you're with me. Even if I don't feel your presence, I believe you're here. And just, I'm just waiting on him. Amen. What I see in Isaiah 40, 31 is that when we are weary, time spent waiting on God is never wasted time. I can waste time doing a lot of things, but waiting on God is not a waste. There is always time to wait on God. We think we get uh, direction a lot of times uh, in our life about what we're supposed to do next, because what am I supposed to do next, God? What am I supposed to do next? And so a lot of times we make this mistake of thinking we get direction based on our personal observation. Oh, well, I, I thought God told me to do this, but then all this stuff went wrong, and so it must not have been God. Not necessarily. A lot of stuff went bad for Paul, but he was like, God told me to go to Jerusalem. And all these people are telling him, 
we spent time in prayer, Paul, and, we, and God is warning you not to go there. You shouldn't go. And it's like, he's, he's like, no, I know I'm supposed to go. And then he gets, he gets there, he gets arrested, and everyone's like, oh, he got arrested. And then Jesus appeared to him in the cell and said, be encouraged, Paul. Good job, because you're going to go to Rome and you're going to talk to people about me. And so we think, oh, I messed up, you know, all this stuff happened. I missed God, not necessarily. Nope. Jesus said, no, in the world you will have trouble. Guaranteed, 100%. So we shouldn't base our direction on personal observation. I believe that Jesus always knew what to do, because he always knew what to do. He always knew what to do because of the time he would regularly spend waiting on the Father. And it's like people a lot of times like to say, well, Jesus is in a different class than us. Yes, he is. But the word said in Philippians that he set aside his mighty power, his divine privilege, and relied on the Holy Spirit. That means that he had to, he chose to limit himself, didn't make him less God. Like I said before, if I choose to play less complicated guitar, does that make me any less of a guitar player? No. So if he, if he said, I'm going to do this because I want to benefit my people, because I want to teach them how to wait on the Father. I want to teach them how to be led always by the Father. And so that time that he spent in relationship with the Father, out of that came all the direction he needed. He said, I only do those things that I hear my Father or see my Father do. I only say the things I hear my Father say. And that all came out of relationship. Yeah? I know that you know these things, but I'm going over it again, maybe a little deeper than we have before. So then, spend, uh, if, you, if you want direction for your life, don't go around looking for people to speak a word over you. That does happen, but that's confirmation to something God's already put in your heart, because he didn't say, Jesus, the word said, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So you're led by his Spirit. And so it doesn't say as many as are led by prophetic words from various people in the church. As many as are led by the Spirit. Now, they can give you a word, and they can, and they can encourage you, and they can exhort you, and they can build you up, and they can confirm something that God has already told you, and I've had it happen. But that's not the, that's not the main drive, because that replaces my relationship. Because if, I, if all I had to do is go around and get confirming words from people, or if words of direction from other Christians, then guess what? I no longer need to go to my father. And I have now replaced my relationship with him with just chasing after people and trying to get words from them. God doesn't want us to do that. So spend time with God. Just spend time with him. doesn't have to be, you don't have to say all the right things, do all the right things. Just spend time with him. And not only will you renew your strength, you will have direction for your life too. And you'll find that maybe you're doing some things that God has not given you time to do. I've had him tell me that. Stop doing this. That's not even a sinful thing, Lord. Yeah, but stop doing that. Why? Because that's not my assignment. Amen. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. How are you all doing with this so far? Are you okay? You need a hug? <laughs> Ephesians 5. Look down at verse 15. Get myself some water. All right, verse 15, Ephesians 5 says, See then 
that you walk circumspectly or cautiously, not as fools, but as wise. I love that. Straight out of the Bible. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. That's slapped me in the face before. Not as fools, but as wise. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If he's telling us to understand what his will is, that means we must be able to do that. And so what, what happens is then is that it, that's, a, that's a wise thing to do to understand what the will of the Lord is because it says walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, walk as wise. And then it says in verse uh, 17, uh, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That means if you understand what the will of the Lord is, God considers you wise. If you take the time to understand what his will is, he considers you wise. And what is the result? It redeems your time. It redeems your time if you understand what his will is. Because then you understand I, my, I, the time that I have been given is to do this. And he gives you time to have fun too. Don't forget that. Jesus said, he told all the disciples all this stuff. He said, I told you these things so that your joy may be full. It's fun to be joyful. So there's times for that. But, he, but the idea is like maybe he did a lot some time. For you to just to be in joy. But he've allotted that if he gave you some time and then he says, I want you to spend this time doing this, that means you now understand what his will is in that for that time. You see where I'm going with this? So then take initiative in the things that matter. Take initiative in the things that matter. Well, I don't know exactly what to do. Well, the first thing that we talked about is waiting on the Lord matters. So if you don't know what else to do, wait on the Lord. And that matters. Amen. Like Jesus said, when, when uh, he's, we read it before, it's in Luke 2, where Jesus is a, a boy, and, and uh, they, they leave, he's in Jerusalem, and they're like, it takes a few days, and they say, wait a minute, where is he? They go back, and they're looking for him, and they're like, they fi- I find him in the temple, listening to the teachers and asking questions. And the teachers are already amazed by his knowledge and his understanding, even at that young age. So it doesn't really take, it doesn't take as long to grow up spiritually as it does physically. At least that's what I see from the word. Because Jesus was already more mature than his years. Is that not right? So, he, so he's like, uh, he's, he, he's listening and asking questions, and they're amazed at his understanding, and then his parents find him, and they say, look, why did you do this, son? We, we, we searched for you. And he says, but why did you need to search? Did you not know I must be about my father's business? And so what's Jesus doing? Redeeming the time. He's, he knows what his father's will is. I must be about my father's business. And, and so he said part of the father's business is to spend time listening and asking questions. Part of the father's will. Amen? Jesus was never in a hurry. Did you ever see him in a hurry? <laughs> Why? Because he waited on his father and he knew exactly what the father wanted him to do. 
after he waited at the well. We read about that. Was that last week or the week before? Because all these, all these messages are specific, but, they, but, but all of the things are so embedded in all the stories that we talked about that it's kind of hard for me to keep track. But you remember, as he waited at the well and did the work of his father, he witnessed to the woman. Remember, give me a drink. Well, uh, how can you say give me a drink? You've got no... Or, or, or you know, oh, oh no, that's when he said, uh, <laughs> he told her, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked him and he would have given you a drink of living water. That's what Jesus told her. I'd have given you living water. After he waited at the well, when he first got there, it said he was weary from the journey. And we, lo- we looked at that and how at the end of, at the, after he ministered to this woman, and she's like excited and on fire. She runs into the, this, this man, could this be the Messiah? He told me everything I ever did. Well, then Jesus, the, the disciples come and they ask him to, they say, okay, here's some, here's some food. We brought you some food to eat. And he's like, I have food to eat, which you don't know. So he got there and he was weary. But at the end of that time of ministry and working the Father's will, doing the Father's will, he was refreshed without needing any physical food. So there's a supernatural component to waiting on God and to doing what God has said to do. Not that you have to stop eating now. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in that moment, he's like, I'm good. I'm refreshed. Being uh, refreshed after waiting on the Lord uh, during ministry opportunities happens. You know, this one time we went back, uh, this is when we were still at, at Bible College in Tulsa, but Tammy and I went back to California to visit family, and we were there in a four-square church, spirit-filled church. It's actually the, where my brother was attending at the time. And uh, the pastor said, he did that thing that people find uncomfortable where he said, okay, everybody branch off into little circles and pray. And he was specifically said, I feel led to have you pray over needs just in whoever you're talking to, just the people you're talking to. And so it was me and my mom sitting in the, sitting in the pew and the people in front of us turned around and we were praying with them. And a lady said, well, I, you know, it took a while to get anybody to actually say, it. sometimes that's it's like, okay, does anybody have anything you need prayer for? Everyone's like, no, I'm good. It's like, come on, there's something, you know, and so we, we were like, okay, well, we waited, you know, and uh, this, this lady was there, she said, well, my mom has cancer, and we said, okay, we can pray about that, and so we, we all took hands, and we're praying, my mom's pray- my mom was actually leading the prayer, because I was actually not like, it's like, I'm not in the mood for, I'm not in the mood, right, be ready in season and out of season, the word said, but I was like, uh, you know, so we're praying, and as we're praying, um, I saw, I say I saw, but it's like an impression just kind of as you're, uh, like, you know, when you, when you blink and there's like bright stuff and it's like you see outlines after that. It's like that. And I saw an outline of a woman. And there was a glowing green spot here on this side. And I saw a hand reach down and just kind of scoop it and toss it. Now, this is, after, this is while my mom's praying. And so I didn't pray any of that out. I just saw. And so my mom finished praying. And I told the lady, I said, this is what I saw. And she's excited, like, and I'm over here like, maybe she shouldn't be so excited, you know. But we second guess ourselves, you know. But I didn't say that. I just told her what I saw. And she's like, wow, I've got to go home and tell my mom. And I'm like, okay, all right, you know. And so uh, day was done. We went back home. And then we, went, we concluded our trip, went back to Tulsa. And then we were back out there a year later, a year later. And I was over there again because, like I said, it was my brother's church, you know, and, and so uh, we were at some kind of outside thing, and uh, this lady walks up, and she says, do you remember me? 
And I'm like, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. I, I don't remember you. And she says, well, about a year ago, you prayed with me about my mom. And I said, I do remember you. I do remember that now. And she said, well, my mom is free of cancer. And I said, what? <laughs> Praise God. I mean, because it's like, wow, thank you. Thank you, Father. Well, now, I, 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 that refreshed me. You have no idea how much that refreshed me. Because it so, it's hard to take a, a, it's hard to spend time in training. And you get weary, you get tired, and then you go back. And it's supposed to be a vacation, but it, you know how vacations are. It's like, you know, I get home, I'm like, yeah, vacations can be work. And so that refreshed me so much. But see, here's the thing, is that, yeah, my, my part in that ministry was very small. Actually, my mom was the one that prayed. All I did was tell her what I saw. And I did have to be faithful to do that, and it takes courage to do that because it's like, this is, what if this doesn't happen, Lord? And, of course, he's like, well, what if it does? You know, because he'll do, what he, he'll do whatever he wants to do. But, see, if we are not, because we, we are co-laborers with him, so if I was not faithful to speak that out, Maybe it wouldn't have happened. If it did happen, though, she wouldn't have had that witness. She said, my mom was so encouraged when I told her about it. She was so excited. And they were praising God for something they didn't even see happen yet. And that's wise. It's very wise. (laughs) So there's a refreshing in doing the work that's assigned to us. Amen. Amen. And then she had a testimony of what Jesus did for her. And, she, and that added, you see how that built that testimony? If my mom had just prayed and say she still got healed, it still would have been a powerful testimony. They prayed at church and God healed me. But now she has this added testimony of they prayed at church. Some guy that was going to Bible college said that he saw this and it came to pass. You see how that builds the testimony and it makes the testimony of Jesus stronger. Because that's what Jesus did for her. Amen. Turn with me over to uh, Revelation 19. There's something to this idea, the testimony. We don't hear that. I mean, you don't hear that word outside of a courtroom much. You don't hear that word except for maybe in churches. But a lot of people don't even really stop to think about what it is. It's an account of something. This is my testimony of what Jesus did for me. So whatever Jesus did for you, and you tell someone, you have just given them a testimony. Okay? So here in Revelation 19, uh, we're going to read about a little bit about this testimony. Um, but uh, you know the context. John is seeing all these things uh, that doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to him, and he's writing it down. And uh, the angel that is kind of his guide is showing him all this stuff that's happening he bows down to worship this angel. And the angel's like, don't do that. Do not worship me. He said, worship God. And now we'll see why. In verse 10, it says, and I fell at his feet to worship him. That's the angel. He's going to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. So if you said out loud, Jesus is your Lord, you believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead, you have a testimony of Jesus. You have it. It, you, it is yours. Okay? And then he says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That is a powerful statement. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
you may not be a spirit, you may not be a prophet, but you have a testimony of Jesus, and that testimony is the spirit of prophecy. That's why Paul told us all, desire the best gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And when he said that, he was saying, he just said, not everybody's a prophet. Just because you prophesy doesn't make you a prophet. I have some cash in my wallet, but that doesn't make me a millionaire. Because the, the office of a prophet is something different. They don't only prophesy, they do other things. But the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, turn back to uh, a few chapters in Revelation, chapter 12. Did this just get interesting to you? Revelation 12, look down at verse 11. This is talking about the saints, us. Verse 11, it says, And they overcame him, that Satan, because I don't want to go through all that. He's talking about overcoming Satan and the Antichrist, by the way. They overcame him, uh, the Christians, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their, what? Testimony. They overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. It's the word of your testimony. That's, that means that's your spoken testimony. I have it, but I'm not speaking it out right now. You overcome by the word of your testimony, speaking it out in the right time when God tells you to. Amen? Now, uh, where, where did I, I lost my place. Um, how did I lose my place? Thank you, thank you. 1211. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. That means they did not... Um, they did not give up their faith in Jesus just to extend their physical life a little longer. They were willing to die for what they believed in. That's all that means. Growing up in church, respect was given to our personal testimony. There was love respect that people had for, like, hey, so-and-so, will you come up and give your personal testimony? And I think that a lot of us didn't, didn't really stop and think about what that really meant. But people would knew enough to come up and say, well, this is how... Uh, I, this is the, t the series of events that caused me to accept Jesus as my Lord, of course, much more passionately than I just said that. But there's an anointing that comes on somebody when they are sharing their personal testimony, and it's because that, that word of their testimony is the spirit of prophecy. That's why. Uh, and so, like I said, respect was given to the personal testimony of Jesus, but not enough emphasis was placed on how important it really is. The testimony of what Jesus has done in your life will not, it will not only help you win the lost, but it will sustain you in the day that your faith is tested to the limit. It was after they gave the word of their testimony that they're like able to say, okay, well, I'm not going to love my life to death. This is what Jesus did for me. And I don't care what happens to me, I'm going to say it. That's what gives a person the strength to do that. Not all of us will have to do that. That's just a fact. Not everybody will have to do that. Some people will. But the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Uh, I, I heard about a, a, a church a denomination one time that they're, they weren't a spirit-filled denomination, but they're, they're saved. They're, they believe in Jesus. And uh, they, they were going to go, suddenly the, there was this passion struck up in them that they're like, we need to, to go share the gospel. and We need to go to this certain place that was a different country. And so they brought someone in to train them. And the person that trained them just taught them to just use their personal testimony. There are different witnessing methods and things like that. And you can get some success from those 